0: It was good to be back in Charlotte, uh, appreciated that special music, it was amazing how many different sounds you can get out of an instrument, uh, a, a horn that you blow through, you know, have a flute like that, then you've got a tuba, and then you've got clarinets, you've got trumpets and trombones, and you're just blowing through something, and you get all kinds of different sounds, but it's, it's very exciting, very very pleasant to listen to. had a very positive trip to uh, Southern California last week. Uh, Actually, you could see the mountains. You could even see down from the mountains. It was very pretty. Uh, <clears throat> we had about, oh, we had over 100 people that uh, attended a combined service on the Sabbath. The uh, Garden Grove congregation got together with the La Cunata congregation. Had about 100 people. I got so busy talking to people, I never got to the snacks afterwards. So I was really wishing Mr. Hilgenberg would have left his fruit or vegetables or whatever they were up here that uh, they look pretty good. But, you know, it's always exciting to get back to Charlotte and come to church and be asked to sign the guest book. (laughs) But it is good to be back. As I mentioned, we had some beautiful weather in Southern California last weekend. Uh, Pasadena and that area really can be beautiful when you can see it. You know, when the smog is there, it's a different story. You know, I've noticed as I've gotten older, many of the emails that I'm getting from uh, friends that I went to high school with, and I'll probably get kicked for saying this, but I've even noticed the emails my wife gets from friends <laughs> that she went to school with. It's interesting, as we get older, many of these emails focus on the joys and the challenges of getting older. I wanted to share just a couple of comments with you off of. Uh, I think this was actually something that somebody sent to my wife. It says, Consciousness is that annoying period of time between naps. <laughs> so another one said, It's scary when you start making the same noises as your coffee maker. <laughs> Being over the hill is much better than being under the hill. And another one said, wrinkled was not one of the things I wanted to be when I grew up. (laughs) You might wonder, what does this have to do with the sermon? Well, the subject I want to talk about today is a subject that really does take on more validity as we get older. It's a subject that we, I think, come to appreciate more as we get older and we look back on life and begin to realize that uh, we see things as we get older that we didn't see when we were younger. It was kind of surprising to me to see how much my perspectives changed when I turned 50. Things that were very important to me before that didn't seem near as important after that. And things that were important once I turned 50, I wasn't really interested in that much before I turned 50. But this is not a geriatric sermon. (laughs) It's also intended for younger people. It's a subject that can be of benefit to many young people if you can learn from your elders. If you can come to appreciate the perspectives that they have gained over time. So that you don't have to repeat some of the same experiences, some positive, some negative That resulted in adults learning important lessons I'd also like to ask you another question Why do many people like mysteries and detective stories? Why do people like mysteries and detective stories? part of it, I think, is the expense, or the expense, the the suspense. I'm having the same problem, as Mr. Hildred had. (laughs) Suspense is exciting. And the way a person weaves a story together, or the way a movie is scripted, it creates a certain amount of suspense and excitement as you look for clues and you find clues that lead you in a direction. And you have a sense of accomplishment at the end of the story when all the clues fit together and you see this big picture. What I'd like to do in the sermon today is to begin by looking at some scriptures, some clues in the scriptures. And we'll ask some questions and look for answers in the scriptures. And I think we're going to find those answers are going to be very informative and instructive. The subject that I want to talk about today is extremely important to your future and to the future of the nation in which we live. And I think as we approach the Passover, we're going to realize this is also an important subject we want to think about as we approach the Passover. Let's turn to a couple of scriptures in the New Testament, beginning in the book of Acts. Book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. We're going to run across a phrase in a number of these verses in the New Testament that is mentioned by a number of New Testament writers. But the phrase is not defined. We're going to have to look elsewhere to find the definitions of the phrase that is used. In the book of Acts chapter 9, <clears throat> beginning in verse 31, this is... a Describe the period of time after um, the Apostle Paul, or Saul, as his name was, was converted. It says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. And this was after Paul uh, create, stopped creating a lot of excitement in that area, and he went off to another area. It said they had peace and were edified, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. In Acts chapter 10, the first two verses, we find the same phrase again, or a similar phrase. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. He was over a hundred men of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a Gentile, a devout man and one who feared God. One who feared God with all his household. And he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. But he was a a devout man who feared God. So we see this phrase, he feared God. In Hebrews 12, verse 28 So Luke was writing the book of Acts in Hebrews. We're reading something that the Apostle Paul wrote towards the end of that book. Hebrews 12 and verse 28. He said Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Again, the phrase is used, but the phrase is not defined. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17. So Luke used the phrase, Paul used the phrase, Peter now uses the phrase. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17. Peter mentions, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. And honor the king, he's giving advice to people in the church But he uses this phrase, fear God And finally, in the book of Revelation Revelation chapter 14 Beginning in verse 6 In this section of scripture, John is defining or describing a message that was given by three different angels and the message of the first angel, he says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. So here we find four different writers in the New Testament using the phrase, Fear God. But they don't define it. What does it mean? What does it mean? We've got to look for some clues in the Bible to find out what it means. You know, if you do your own word study, you'll find this term fearing God used extensively in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament, but it's not defined as precisely in the New Testament as it is in the Old Testament. So I would like to ask, what does Luke, Paul, Peter, and John, what are they talking about? when they mention fearing God, what do they mean? And how does this apply to you? What does it mean to fear God? You know, I think today, because of watching movies like Elmer Gantry and some of these things, this idea of fearing God is trembling, you know, and being afraid of God. You know, Jonathan Edwards, a New England Puritan minister, preached a very famous sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It really rattled people. I can remember going to revivals years ago with my parents. And the technique of the evangelist was to kind of build towards the end and then tell people, you know, Christ could come tonight. And if you're not prepared, you could burn in hell forever because you're a sinner and people got rattled. And they'd invite them to come up and give their hearts to the Lord. Because they were trembling. They had put the fear of God in people. But, you know, it's interesting, the Bible has some other things to say about the fear of God. Besides just some emotional feeling. You know, you don't hear much about fearing God today. If you think about it, what you hear is, Do you know the Lord? Do you love God? Have you given your heart to God? But you don't hear much about, Do you fear God? It's kind of like fear is not fashionable anymore. We don't want to fear anybody. We just want to love, we just want to know, but we don't want to fear. And yet the Bible uses the phrase over and over and over. So I'd like to ask the question this afternoon, what does it mean to fear God? How does the Bible define the fear of God? Why is it important to fear God? Is it important to fear God? What are the benefits of fearing God to you as an individual, as a young person? Why would you as a young person want to fear God? Why would you want to fear God as an older person? Are there consequences for not fearing God? What kind of examples does the Bible provide About people that didn't fear God. What did they do when they didn't fear God? How do you fear God? What do you do if you fear God? I've entitled the sermon, Do You Fear God? And I think it's something we all probably ought to think about as we approach the Passover. You know, the Passover is a time for examining ourselves. In the light of what God says, not what other people think, not what Hollywood presents to us, but what does the Bible say about fearing God? You know you can get on our website <clears throat> tomorrow 's world website, plug in Fear of God, and you 'll find several dozen articles that have been written. You know, Dr. Meredith wrote an article a number of years ago talking about the fear of God, and he mentioned in a sermon. Recently, that the fear of God is extremely important. So I would encourage you, you know, after the sermon is over, review your notes, maybe get on the website, read some of the articles, do your own study, so that you've got a very clear concept of what it means to fear God—not the Elmer Gantry type of thing, <laughs> not the uh, Sawdust Trail evangelist type of thing—but what does the Bible actually say? Is it a positive concept? Is it a negative concept? But do you fear God? Let's look in the Bible for some clues that explain and provide information about what it really means to fear God. And when you look at the words that are used in the Old Testament and New Testament, some very interesting things about the words. In the Old Testament Hebrew, the word used for fear of God is Yare, Y-A-R-E, or Yare. It's a word with several different meanings. It can mean to tremble, to be frightened of, of God, but it can also mean to revere God, to respect God, to be in awe of God. And the meaning of the word depends on the context It depends on the context You can read some of the scriptures talk about people trembled before God. They they feared God. They were afraid when the Israelites were uh, Gathered around Sinai God was giving the Ten Commandments and the lightning came and the earthquakes and the the Smoke and everything they were afraid they said Moses you talk to us don't let God talk to us because we'll die They were afraid But as we will see other places, God says, oh, that they would fear me, respect me, obey me, follow my instructions. But It's the same word, but it has different meanings in different contexts. The New Testament word is somewhat the same. The Greek word is phobio, which we get our word phobias. (laughs) which has a very negative connotation of fear and trembling and so on, being scared of something. And yet the New Testament word has several meanings. It depends on the context. It can mean to be afraid and be frightened, or it can mean to to fear, to respect, to honor, to have awe. And it depends on the context. We're going to be focusing on... The second meaning for the most part today, I think we all understand what it means to be afraid of something But do we understand what it means to fear in a positive way? Let's notice a couple of scriptures to begin with in the Old Testament What does it mean to fear God? What kind of clues do we find in the Bible that explain these meanings? Go to Genesis chapter 12 to begin with Where God began to work with Abraham Abraham We need to pick up the story here to give a context to what we're talking about. Genesis chapter twelve, beginning in verse one. Now God is beginning to work with Abraham. He had a goal. He wanted Abraham to become the the father of the faithful, but he had to know Abraham. He had to know where Abraham was coming from and where he would go and how he would respond under different circumstances. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless you. Make your name great. You should be a blessing, uh, basically, to the peoples of the world. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Now we're going to come back to that concept in a little bit later in the sermon. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the what God was offering to Abraham. Now, Abraham didn't say, Would you spell that out? Put that in writing and let me think about it. <laughs> Verse 4, it says, So Abraham departed. He saw a good deal when he heard it. <laughs> hey, this is pretty good. He didn't argue about it, he left. He obeyed God. If we go to Genesis 18, <clears throat> verses 18 and 19. Now, these were qualities that God began to see in Abraham as he worked with Abraham. Genesis 18, verse 18. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, uh, God said, you know, should I hide what I'm doing to Abraham? Verse 17. For I have known him, verse 19, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him. Abraham had this quality of teaching his family God's way, a way of righteousness. Psalm 119, verse 172 says, All thy commandments are righteousness. Abraham taught his family this. These were the qualities God was looking for. But now in Genesis 22, verses 1 and verses 12, This is kind of the capstone experience of the trials and tests that Abraham went through as God was working with him. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Again, Abraham didn't say, no, wait a minute, (laughs) You know, you gave us that son. Now you're going to take it away? This isn't fair. He didn't say that. Verse 3, this quality of Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and he was off. He bound Isaac, laid him on an altar. Then God saw what he was going to do and God said, no, wait a minute. You don't need to do that. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He says, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God. You respected God, you followed his instructions, you were going to follow his instructions. You know, the Bible is very making very plain and clear that if we fear God, we're going to follow his instructions. We're not going to argue. We're not going to compromise. We're going to stay focused on what God asks us to do. Let's go to Exodus chapter 1 quickly. And what we're covering are things that are really pretty consistent the whole way through the scriptures. And the Israelites had gone down to Egypt. The Pharaoh saw that the Israelites were multiplying. He was worried about what was going to happen. They could take over the country. And in verse 15 of chapter 1, it says, The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Verse 16, he said, When you do your duties as a midwife for the Hebrew women, see that on, and you see them on their birth stools. if it is a son that is born, then you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, then she shall live. I don't want these people multiplying. These sons can grow up to be soldiers. They can take over the country. but notice verse seventeen, but the midwives feared God. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Verse nineteen. The midwives said to the Pharaoh because the Hebrew women you know we didn't kill the baby boys because they're not like the Egyptian women, they're lively, they were up and out of there. It took the baby and they were gone Therefore God dealt well with the midwives And the people multiplied and grew mightily So here were women that disobeyed the instructions of the Pharaoh Because they knew that was wrong They feared God instead They obeyed God Let's go to Exodus 18 As the Israelites were multiplying, you know, Moses tried to handle all the problems himself. And his father-in-law said, Moses, you're going to wear yourself out. You can't keep doing that. You need to delegate some of these responsibilities to others. But I want you to delegate in a certain way. I want you to look for certain qualities in individuals and make them the leaders. But notice what these qualities are. Verse 21, it says, you shall select from all the people, able men, individuals with abilities, not just anybody, but with abilities, such as fear God, individuals who fear God, men of truth, who hate covetousness, and place them to be rulers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. These were things that God said are extremely important qualities for people in leadership positions Or people that hope to be in leadership positions As Christians we've been called to become kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God I think God is going to look for exactly the same qualities In people that he's going to place in positions of responsibility In the kingdom of God, which means you and me do we have these qualities? Do we appreciate these qualities? You know, If these were qualities that were required for anyone to serve in the Congress of the United States Or to serve in some of the highest offices in the land How many people would be unqualified? Probably quite a few See, God's government is going to be based on character qualities that are outlined right here. Individuals who fear God. And we're going to find out through the sermon some individuals that did not fear God and the impact that they had on a nation. And we're probably going to watch over the next months and years the impact people in high offices are going to have on our nation and what the consequences are going to be. In Leviticus 25, let me just give you the scriptures there. I encourage you to look them up and think about them. It talks about people that fear God, <clears throat> verses 17, 36, and 43. People that fear God don't oppress other people. People that fear God don't exploit other people. They don't take advantage of other people. People that fear God don't abuse other people they don't put them down they they don't abuse them in that sense throw their weight around but the Bible equates this with fearing God with fearing God let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 Deuteronomy chapter 4 and I'd encourage you to read the first 10 or 12 verses here Moses is speaking to the children of the Israelites that came out of Egypt you know, the first generation came out of Egypt. They didn't obey God. They wandered for 40 years Now their children the second generation Is just preparing to enter the promised land And Moses says I've got some things I need to tell you before you enter the promised land Verse 1 now, O Israel listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live in other words, that your life will be better. And go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving to you. Don't add to the word which I command you, and don't take anything from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Don't be adding, don't be taking away, just do what I've asked you to do. Down in verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently Keep yourself, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. You know how God changed the waters of the Nile into blood. How he separated the Red Sea. And how he delivered the Israelites time and time again. He says, never forget those things. Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest you depart from your heart all the days of... Uh, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach these things to your children and to your grandchildren. Why? Verse 10. Especially concerning the days you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, where the Ten Commandments were given, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me and let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days of their life. Their life as they live on the earth, that they may teach their children to fear God. That God is the creator, He's the stainer, He's the lawgiver. If we obey Him, we're going to fear Him and and we're going to be blessed for that. We're to teach these things to our children. Let's note a couple of other scriptures while we're here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 29. And this is God kind of lamenting here that uh, he says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You know, if you raise children with the understanding that you can commit adultery, you can commit fornication, you can get drunk, you can steal if you don't get caught, they're going to get burned sooner or later. But if you raise them with the understanding it's wrong to kill, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to commit adultery, it's wrong to commit fornication, it's wrong to get drunk. They are going to be blessed. They are going to be blessed. You know, I was raised in a nominally Christian home. My mom and dad taught me about the Bible. And it was interesting, when I went to college, lived in the fraternity house, I saw guys doing things that I had been told were wrong. And I saw them get in trouble. I saw them get in trouble. And they paid dearly in some cases. Because apparently they either weren't given the guidelines I had been given or they disregarded those guidelines. And God says here, He says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, that they would obey me. And always keep my commandments that it might be well with them. Yet people are told today, well, you know, the commandments are burdened and they're difficult and you need to be freed from all of that. So it's okay to lie, it's okay to steal. No, it's not. There'll be consequences that come. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And this just repeats over and over. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord, your God, has commanded uh, <clears throat> to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are going to possess, that you may fear the Lord, your God, and keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. That your days may be prolonged. You know if we follow the instructions that God gives us in a number of different areas, as we'll see in the sermon, life is going to go better, it's going to go better. There's no concept of a burden here with the laws of God. Verse twelve <clears throat> says, "Beware lest you forget the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Uh, you know, don't forget the instructions that you were given." Chapter 10, this is a very interesting summary, probably one of the better summaries that we find in the Bible. Notice it's in the Old Testament, but it has New Testament connotations. It fits very much with the New Testament. In verse 12 and 13 of Deuteronomy chapter 10, it's kind of the essence of God's law. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What is God looking for? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways. And we read the scripture in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, where the early church walked in the fear of God. Fear the Lord, walk in his ways, love him. Well, that sounds like the New Testament. <laughs> love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and keep the commandments of the Lord in his statutes, which I command you this day. Talks about circumcise the foreskin of your heart in verse sixteen. Get rid of your rebellious attitude. Quit arguing with my laws and commandments. You know, just do those. But here's a summary: that the fear of the Lord involves walking in His ways. You know, if you respect God, you're going to want to walk in His ways. You're going to want to do what He asks you to do. If you love him, Jesus said in the New Testament, if you love me, John fourteen fifteen, keep my commandments. <laughs> Just follow my instructions. If you love your parents and they say, don't do this, you'll do what they ask you to do. If you love them, you revere them, you respect them. See, it all fits together. Deuteronomy 31, Moses parting words to the Israelites. He was not going to be going across the Jordan with them, but he was trying to give them advice before they go. In verse 6 of Deuteronomy 31, he's talking to the Israelites here. He says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, those people that you're going to encounter. For the Lord your God is one, and he goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 7, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with these people to the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give to them. Down in verse uh, 12 and 13. Gather the people together, men and women, little ones And the stranger who is within your gates that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God And carefully observe all the words of this law And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear The Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess And this this was the lesson to fear God is to obey God To follow his instructions To honor him By doing those things. So the Bible is pretty clear in terms of what does it mean to fear God. And my question would be do you fear God? What would you do? How do you live your life if you fear God? Have this awe, this respect for God. But let's ask another question and look for some answers. Why should we fear God? Why should we fear God? What's in it for you? What benefits can you look forward to? What would be some of the reasons to fear God? Turn to Psalm 2. Just Notice what David had to say, and we'll notice what Solomon had to say. And I wanted to cover this first before we look at some examples of some individuals who did not fear God. They had information in front of them that they didn't use, that they didn't follow. In Psalm 2, in verse 11, it says, Serve the Lord, this is David writing, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear, with respect, with honor and rejoice with trembling. In other words, realize who you're standing in front of whenever you're talking with God. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Verses 8 and 9 to begin with. We're talking here about some benefits. What are the benefits of fearing God? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good... Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Blessed is the man to be envied or favored is the person who trusts in God. Now in verses 11. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. It's one of the songs that we sing. But fearing God involves departing from evil and doing good. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And Psalm 119, verse 172 says, all thy commandments are righteousness. God's going to be noticing. Now, there is a person I'm going to watch. They're not arguing with me. They're, they're just doing what I've asked them to do. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. He's listening to their prayers. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, who go contrary to God's instruction. Down in verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them. God is going to watch over those who are keeping His commandments, following His instructions. In Psalm 103, Again, just noticing several things that David had to say about fearing God. Psalm 103 <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, verse one, and all that is in within that is within me. Bless His holy name, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Obeying God and fearing God is going to come with a number of benefits, as we will see. He forgives all our iniquities. He heals our diseases. Down in verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. He acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now down in verse uh, 11. It says, "For the heavens, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear him. Great is His mercy towards those who fear him, who respect him, who honor him, who follow his instructions. Great is God's mercy towards those people. Psalm 112. And this almost sounds like Moses writing. Psalm 112 and verse 1. Praise the Lord! Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. The word blessed means to be envied, it means to be favored by God. Blessed is the person who fears the Lord. And delights greatly in his commandments. Doesn't want to do something that God says not to do. Now this is not rocket science. It's fearing God 101. It's fearing God 101. Psalm 128, final scripture here in the Psalms. Psalm 128, verse 1. And this is David who's going to be the king over all Israel in the coming kingdom of God. This is his perspective that he's sharing with us. Blessed is everyone, favored is everyone, to be envied is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Luke mentioned the early church walked in the fear of God. And David said, blessed to be envied, favored will everyone be who fears God and walks in his ways. So what I'd like to do next is look at some scriptures in Proverbs. And rather than have you turn to all of these things, I want to give you the scripture. And, and just you can make a note with the, the note on the scripture. In Proverbs chapter 1, the book of Proverbs was written to young people to give young people advice or give advice to young people or people young enough that are still receptive to, <laughs> to learn. Verse 7 of chapter 1 Proverbs says The fear of the Lord It's not talking about trembling It's talking about respecting God The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge But fools despise wisdom and instruction one of the newer translations says The fear of the Lord is the starting point For knowledge It's the starting point For knowledge is where you start from the Bible indicates that God created the earth he created the different species it doesn't say that they all evolved you know from green slime see there are two different starting points and if you start one place you're going to wind up in left field you start another place you're going to wind up on target the Bible has a lot to say about marriage it has a lot to say about child rearing has a lot to say about family relations. If you ignore what the Bible says, you're going to get in deep water very quickly. The Bible has a lot to say about health. If you ignore that, then you're going to wind up in trouble. The Bible talks about don't eat fat or blood. Now, eating those things, you know, high-fat diets, lead to real problems. Heart disease, various types of cancer, It's only been in recent uh, decades we've come to realize that. But the Bible has said that a long time ago. Your blood and blood products. My background is Germanic. And my uncle made blood sausage and a bunch of other stuff like that. But, you know, blood contains viruses and bacteria. It's a means of transmitting disease. And the Bible says don't eat those things, even though some... Cultures today will mix blood with milk because blood has protein in it. (laughs) But it's not the way to go. The Bible says don't do those things. There's a better way to go. When it comes to economics, the Bible has guidelines. You disobey those guidelines, ignore those guidelines, there will be consequences. In terms of music and education and things like that, the Bible gives us guidelines. It's a starting point. I was teaching biology at Ambassador College. I'd never, uh, had, had not taught, or no, I did not study biology from a biblical perspective. And I think I went to Dr. Hay and some others to ask for advice. This says, What does the Bible have to say about the subject? <laughs> and you go to the Bible, you find principles, and then you look for other bits of information that fit with those principles. See, it's a starting point. And in secular education today, where people don't look into the Bible, they make fun of it, it's no wonder that education is in trouble today. And cultures built on an educational system that is not based on the Bible are going to wind up in trouble sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. So one of the benefits of fearing God is being willing to look into the Scriptures. David mentions in Psalm 119, I forget the exact verse, but he says, show me, help me understand what is in your law. Help me understand why these things are there. David had a teachable attitude. He feared God, he was humble, and he was willing to learn. Here in Proverbs chapter 1, talks about wisdom down in verse 22, it says, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Then in verse uh, <clears throat> 24, it says, Because I have called, God says, or speaking in the first person here, Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. Oh, you got in trouble? That's because you didn't listen. And God says, I'll laugh at your calamity. He says, you're going to have to reap what you've sown. Hopefully you'll learn a lesson. Down in verse 29, he says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord... They would have none of my counsel and despise my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. Is it important to fear God? You bet it is. God loves us, but he wants us to learn lessons. And if we can't learn one way, he'll, he'll let us learn another way. But if we fear God, it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier. Now, let me just give you a couple of other scriptures and Proverbs 3, verse 7, says the fear of God is to depart from evil. Proverbs 3, 7, the fear of God is to depart from evil. You don't go down that path. But Proverbs 8, 3 says the fear of God is to hate evil. I don't want to get anywhere near it. I don't want to get anywhere near it. The fear of God is to hate evil. Proverbs 10, verse 27, the fear of God will lead to a long life. It says. The benefits, the fear of God will lead to a long life, but it says the wicked will die early. You know, people today say, well, you know, it's, to be gay is just to be free, you know, homosexual and so on. But what they don't tell you is that people that adopt that lifestyle live about half as long. They only live about half as long as people that don't adopt that lifestyle. The Bible says the fear of God will lead to a long life. Very contrasting message to what people are being told today. Proverbs 14, let's turn to that one quickly. Proverbs 14, verses 25 and 26. Now these themes run through the book of Proverbs. Actually 26 and 27, I think it is. It says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Now, You can be confident if you're not killing, stealing, lying, coveting, doing all these things, that God will be watching over you. If you start doing those things, you're getting out on thin ice. And you'll have to pay the consequences. In the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. You can go to God and say, please, (laughs) I've tried to do everything right that I know of please watch over me, protect me, guide me, help me. It's kind of hard to ask for help whenever you're, you're doing things on the, on the side that you shouldn't be doing. It just doesn't add up. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to avoid the snares of death. It'll help you avoid an awful lot of problems if you fear God and you're willing to do things God's way. Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Maybe put a circle around this if this is of interest to you. (laughs) Proverbs 22 and verse 4. It says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. That's not bad. By the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. By humility and the fear of the Lord. If you get to the point where you're not interested in learning anymore, be careful. Be careful. Because you'll lose some other things. Proverbs 24, verses 21 and 22. I think very interesting and advice in terms of where the church has been over the last 10 or 15 years. Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 21, My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those given to change. Don't hang around rebels. Don't hang around people that want to change the truth. And get rid of God's laws. It says, for their calamity will rise suddenly. Their calamity will rise suddenly. You know, when Mr. Joseph Tkach gave a sermon a number of years ago, he said, we are going to change this and change that and change that. An older lady came up to me in one of the churches I was pastoring, and she shook his finger in my face. She said, God is going to take his life. Because God holds leaders responsible for things that they do. It says their calamity will come suddenly. Sometimes it doesn't come right away. And people think, well, I can get away with this. Nothing's really happening. I talked with a guy one time. He said, I stopped tithing. I said, I'm more blessed now than I've ever been. Well, give it five years. Give it a little bit of time. There's water to go over the dam. As we get older, we see these things. I think one of the tragedies is that people that have left the church, they go out and they go wild. I was talking with a fellow not too long ago, some time ago. He said, I left the church and I went wild. I just went crazy. And realized, He realized later that was not the thing to do. I think he's repented of that. Sometimes young people leave the church and they start drinking and carousing and do all kinds of things. You know, it's just a matter of time until these things catch up and then they begin to realize why did i do that maybe they're in jail maybe they have a disease whatever see their calamity comes suddenly for people that don't fear the lord proverbs 29 verse 25 <clears throat> proverbs 29 verse 25 it's a little bit different advice here it says the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts the Lord shall be safe If there's a fear of man, fear of people Well, I, I, I can't keep <laughs> the Sabbath Because my, my, my family's going to think I'm crazy Well, God says He wants you to do certain things Peer pressure for young people is difficult to deal with Well, they'll laugh at me if I do this Or they'll laugh at me if I do that We can't fear people If you're going to follow the truth, you're going to take some shots. People are going to laugh. People are going to make fun of you. You might lose your job. But if you're going to fear God, you will do those things. And God will make a way for you to escape and get through various trials that come along. It says the fear of man, peer pressure, fearing what people say, and we'll see some examples of that that are extremely vivid, will bring a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe Final scripture here in Proverbs Proverbs 31 The virtuous wife, the virtuous woman Proverbs 31.10 It says, who can find a virtuous woman? Her worth is far above rubies A very valuable person to God But notice down in, 30, in verse 30 It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. A woman that fears the Lord. (laughs) There are things that are more important than good looks. And for guys, there's things more important than big biceps. (laughs) Fearing God is what it's all about. Fearing God is what it's all about. Solomon came to that conclusion, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. You might go back and read uh, the first chapter of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, you know, "I, I gave myself the liberty to try everything. Mirth, wine, women, and song. And he came to the conclusion in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 12. After doing all these things, even becoming a candidate for suicide." He found that wild parties and drinking don't do it. I remember parties in in college where there was a lot of drinking and some of my roommates, uh, I'd help them away from the toilet later at night. They were there hanging over the toilet, just heaving out their insides or trying to. And I'd say, this must be fun, isn't it? (laughs) But they would do it again and again again. And again, because it was the thing to do in that environment. You know, Solomon tried these same things. But here's the conclusion he came to. Now, some of my friends didn't come to the same conclusion. He says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is the whole purpose of life. This is what God was looking for in Abraham. Now I know that you'll fear me. I saw that you would teach your family God's way. Solomon came to the right conclusion. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter, the whole matter, fear God, keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Okay, These are some of the benefits, some of the reasons for fearing God. But I want to ask another question. What are some of the consequences? What happens When people don't fear God, especially what happens to leaders, people in leadership positions that don't fear God. You might say, why are we spending so much time in the Old Testament? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Jot it down in your notes, read it later. And it said all these things happened to them as examples for our admonition for those of us that live at the close of the age. We should be able to look back in history and learn and not repeat the mistakes of history. Let's go to 1 Samuel very quickly, verse 12. 1 Samuel is talking about Saul. <clears throat> how he was chosen to be the first king of Israel. And Samuel gave certain charges to Saul. 1 Samuel 12, verses 13, 14, and 15. It says, Now therefore here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have desired, and take note, the Lord has set the king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you, as it was against your fathers. This was the charge the Israelites were given when they wanted a king. And God said, if you obey me, Things will work out. If, it, if you don't, then you're going to have problems. Saul did not follow God's instructions. He offered a sacrifice when he shouldn't. He made some rash judgments that he shouldn't have made. And Saul was rejected. Notice in chapter 15. Chapter 15. He was told to punish Amalek, who was an Amalekite. Uh, because of what they had done to the Israelites, who were told to go kill them and destroy everything that they had. Verse 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and so on, because they decided, well, we will we'll worship God with these things. We'll, we'll sacrifice these things to God. We'll, we'll, we'll not waste them. This was their reasoning. This was their reasoning. And then Samuel came on the scene. But actually the Lord spoke to Samuel, verse 10. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king, for he has turned his back from following me. He didn't fear me. He took liberties. He did things that he shouldn't have done. Down in verse uh, 24, we find... Actually, let's start in verse 22. Verse 21, Solomon really blamed, or Saul blamed the people. He said, but the people took the plunder. They they were the ones that did it. And Samuel said to Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, in other words, turning your back on God, doing it a different way, is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. You've lost your kingship because you didn't fear God. Solomon fear. Saul feared something else. Notice verse 24. Then Saul told Samuel, or said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people. I feared the people. And obeyed their voice. He didn't fear God. He listened to people. We read one of the Proverbs. It says, don't fear man. You fear God. And you follow his instructions. He lost his kingdom. Because he didn't fear God. Another tragic case in First Kings. 1 Kings chapter 11. And you might spend a little bit of time, read 11, 12, 13, and 14 here in 1 Kings. Where Solomon was drifting off course, and it was a young ambitious man by the name of Jeroboam. And God told the prophet to go talk to Jeroboam and tell him that he was going to take the kingdom away from Solomon and give it to Jeroboam. Now this was an opportunity that Jeroboam was given. Notice in verse 37, 38, 39 of chapter 11. The prophet told Jeroboam, So I will take you and you shall reign over over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you and walk in my ways, do what is right in my sight, Keep my statutes, my commandments, as the servant of David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the generations or the descendants of David. So this was an incredible promise to this young man. He said, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to take it away from Solomon, and I'm going to give it to you. But he blew it He didn't fear God Notice in chapter 14 <clears throat> No, wait, let's just stay here in, in chapter 12 for just a minute Let's start in uh, verse 26 So the holy days were coming And Jeroboam began to think Jeroboam said in his heart Now the kingdom may return to the house of David If these people go up and offer sacrifices In the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Then they're going to turn against me. Then he began to innovate. Therefore the king took counsel. So there were people advising him. Giving him wrong advice. Made two calves of gold. And said to the people, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. You don't need to keep the Sabbath. You could lose your job. As some people have been told. You don't want to go clear up to Jerusalem. It's a long way to go. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He should have learned something from the book of Exodus. The people talked Aaron into doing these things. And they suffered for that. He set one up in Bethel and one up in Dan. And now this thing became a sin for the people. Verse 32, Jeroboam ordained a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, not the seventh month, he changed the feast day the implications are he probably changed the sabbath he was he was innovating creating his own religion now if you jump to chapter 14 <clears throat> his son got sick and he sent his wife to uh, the prophet to find out what was going to happen to the son and he said don't tell him you're my wife And she walks in and the prophet says, "Uh, you're the wife of Jeroboam. (laughs) Why are you claiming not to be his wife? And then he proceeded to issue a prophecy. Verse 7, chapter 14. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over the people of Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart. Verse 9, But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods, molded images, and provoked me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every male of Israel. Down in verse 11, The dogs shall eat whoever... Belongs to Jeroboam That is pretty heavy stuff But here was a king Who turned his back on God Introduced innovations Into God's religion And down in verse 16 it says He will give Israel up Because of the sins of Jeroboam Who caused and made Israel sin You know, I shudder to think What God is going to do With some of the leaders of our country Today, that are promoting homosexuality as normal, promoting gay marriages, and a bunch of other things. It's going to be interesting to see what he does with ministers who are saying it's all right to keep Sunday. You don't need to keep the Sabbath. You don't need to keep the holy days. You don't need to follow those silly dietary laws and other health laws that are in the Bible. Some people are going to have some things to answer for one of these days. They know God. I'm sure they love God, but it appears they don't fear God because they're willing to do other things. In spite of the very clear guidelines that we find in the scriptures, you can check another example in Acts chapter five, of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to Peter. They presented themselves differently and they dropped dead. They dropped dead. They didn't think they were lying to God, but they were lying to an individual that God was using. And you can read it for yourself in verse 11 of chapter 5. It said, Great fear fell on the church and everybody who heard about the situation. Great fear fell upon the church because they realized something's different here. This wasn't just Peter, the fisherman. This was Peter who was an apostle of Jesus Christ, who was guiding a church that God had raised up through Jesus Christ. So there are very severe consequences that come, and God has recorded these things as... Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 10 for our admonition, our instruction upon whom the ends of the earth is coming. The fear of God is not some little thing. It's a very powerful thing. It's a very important thing. I would encourage you to do some reading in the book of Jeremiah. We're not going to have time to go through a number of these things. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, it talks about there the problems, the the consequences are going to come upon Israel. And Jeremiah's message was not only to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea, but to the Israelites. And says these things are going to come upon you because there is no fear of God among you. There's no fear of God among you. And he said you're going to reap what you have sown. You've turned your back on God. But there are some very powerful scriptures. Let's look at one or two just before we conclude. In Jeremiah 32, our nations are going to be punished because we have turned our back on God. We profess to be Christians, but we don't really follow the instructions of Jesus Christ. Once we've learned our lesson as a nation, and hopefully once we've learned our lesson as individuals, God is going to restore his people. Now, these are prophecies and promises of what's going to be coming down the road. And what it's going to involve. So this involves your future as well as mine. Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 37. says, Behold, I will gather them, talking about the Israelite peoples, out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger. See, we've been blessed incredibly as the people of God, as, people, as, as God's people of Israel, primarily because of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's obedience. Then we have been blessed incredibly. If you traveled around the world, you see that. You understand what I'm talking about. But we're also going to go down the tubes and have to face some very serious consequences because as a nation, we've turned our back on God. We play church. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell in safety. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way. There are not many ways to heaven. <laughs> there's the truth and then there's error. That they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. God is going to bring His people back. Repentant, says we're going to become, come weeping, and looking to God, willing to be taught. And when you go through a period of captivity and persecution, it's very humbling. I remember correcting our boys when they were little. I'd give them a spanking and then I'd love them. And then I'd ask them the question, what can we do to avoid going through this again? And they would come up with all kinds of ideas. (laughs) They didn't want to go through it again. And that was part of the teaching experience. And God's people are going to be humbled. They're going to be brought back. And they're going to learn to fear God. There's nothing wrong with fearing God. Obeying Him, wanting to please Him, wanting to follow His instructions. This is what's coming. So the subject of fearing God is a very powerful subject. It's a very important subject. It's interesting. New Testament writers use the term, the fear of God, but they don't define it as extensively as we find in the Old Testament, especially if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. That's about as New Testament as you can get. Love God, fear Him, walk in His ways, keep His commandments, and things will go well. So I hope, brethren, as we contemplate the Passover coming, those of you that are older, I'm sure it's going to be a lot easier to look back and realize, you know, the things I didn't know when I was 17 or 18. But boy, I know it now. (laughs) And for those of you younger people, ask some of your parents, what can I learn? What can I do now that will avoid, so that I can avoid going through some very difficult times? I hope that you will find contemplating and thinking about the fear of God will be a very profitable period of time to spend as we approach the Passover.